Welcome, everyone, to the Book and Film Globe podcast. I am your host. I am Neil Pollock. I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and much, much more. We have a fine program for you this week, as always. I'm going to talk to contributor Kristen Clifford about the new musical version of Mean Girls. It's a movie that is in theaters now and is somewhat disappointing for the fans of the Mean Girls franchise. Uh, Still worth talking about, though. And I'm also going to talk to Paula Schaefer about the latest Doctor Who reboot. Doctor Who is 60 years old, even older than me, and it has rebooted itself once again. There's much to talk about there, and I'm not at all nerdy for knowing a lot about Doctor Who. But first, I'm going to talk to Stephen Garrett about American fiction based on the novel by Percival Everett, directed by Corey Jefferson, starring Jeffrey Wright, in theaters now, much talked about uh, by people who like things of quality, and I'll be right back with Steven to talk about it right after this. Any news? Editors. They want a black book. Something's got to give. If they want stereotypes, I'll give them one. What is this? There'd be dads, rappers, crack, that's black, right? Nobody's gonna publish this. Just wanna rub their noses in it. We love it. What? It is very, uh... Black? Yes, that's it. I'm happy you said it and not me. (laughs) Our movie of the week, or one of our movies of the week, is American Fiction, which is the most NPR movie of NPR movie season. (laughs) Uh, Given that it is about a novelist pretending to be another novelist. And let me tell you, the all the white people, and it was all white people in my screening last night of, the, of this movie, uh, well, were just wow. roaring in approval of this satire of white literary people. Uh, the guy behind me was wearing a mask in the movies. People still do that. And he was just screaming with laughter every time uh, Jeffrey Wright opened his mouth. And in fact, there was a moment where Jeffrey Wright was hanging out in the kitchen. I think it's Martha's Vineyard. With with his um his girlfriend and uh, the ex boyfriend comes in and and this guy behind me goes awkward. I'm like, okay. I'm like, okay. Yes. You know what's really awkward? You saying awkward in a movie. All right. So annoying audience aside, and the audience in my screening last night was extremely annoying. You know, I gotta say, like I know you really liked American Fiction, but I felt you know I, I have some uh, some critiques of this film, Stephen. Oh, do here. Yes, I mean, do tell, do tell. It's a story of uh, a, a novelist named uh, Thelonious Ellison, and everyone calls him Monk, and his his mother calls him Monkey, which I, I think was probably a big joke in the novel that this movie is based on, and she's kind of awkward, awkward in this. Um, and 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 he uh, is a, like a literary novelist who basically works at USC, like Percival Everett, who wrote the novel that this film is based on, and he's 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 frustrated because he doesn't have no one reads his books. Long story short, he writes a book under the pseudonym of Stag R. Lee, and it's kind of a, a ghetto novel, a ghetto problem novel, tough guy ghetto problem novel, and it, he makes a ton of money off of it, and it becomes a runaway bestseller. Okay, that's the satirical premise of Erasure, which was Percival Everett's book that this film is based on. But uh, you know, but the movie itself is actually kind of a um, kind of a, a soggy kitchen sink family drama about about Monk's family in in Boston, and uh, you know they're all doctors. And he's the only novelist. He's he's a PhD, so he technically he's a doctor, but they tell him he's not that kind of a doctor. But there's like a lot of literary satire, and so it's kind of like these two different movies, and they don't 
to my mind, they don't they don't fully integrate. Um, and you know, the end is extremely smart and funny and satirical, but I don't feel like it really what well, comes up to the end. We I don't feel like we really earn that. I because I, I you know it, it it almost feels more like like a Nicole Holofcener movie or something right, like that. Right. Other than and then with these occasional like didactic. Almost like Robert Townsend, the Hollywood shuffle satires of the publishing industry. Am I wrong? No, look, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, you are wrong because you don't agree with me. But I think it's good that we're not agreeing for the first time in like in recent memory. I feel like months, we're, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Is I think it's very telling that you're talking about the NPR aspect of it. And this movie really leans into the almost fetishization that white people have towards their masochistic guilt about how they look at black people and yet they can't stop embracing black people in the reductive way that they do as much as they acknowledge and recognize that they're doing that and then apologize for it and then continue to do it. You know what I mean? So I I feel like this movie certainly is a satire of that. And I feel like white people are going to love watching this movie because it'll make them laugh at themselves and perpetuate the guilt that they feel about how they look at these stereotypes you know what i mean yeah but i don't think i don't think there's enough of that and the white people in the movie themselves are other than the adam brody hollywood director character who i thought was great but again there's not enough of him there's just not enough of them like there's not enough of that uh female novelist who's on the judging committee uh with with, with monk you know what i mean like i wanted to i wanted to know, like what are her books about you know there was that tough guy novelist who wears the hat you know, like, is he like, kind of like a Dennis Lehane-like character? Like, I wanted to know, like, what is his, what's his story? You know what I mean? And it, and instead we got this sort of boring subplot about um, Sterling K. Brown's brother character. Impossibly ripped plastic surgeon from Tucson. <laughs> Why did he have a body like that? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I think you're saying there's not enough of it. And I feel like this movie is not that movie. This movie is not uh, a satire of white people's preconceptions of and stereotypes about black people it has that in there and i think white people are reacting to that and really enjoying watching themselves get sent up and ribbed but at the same time the movie is like no no no, that's not our story our story is the actual family story which is you know it's it's the very kind of delineated way of saying look we're not the the poor impoverished uh gun violence single mom ghetto stories that you all eat up and that we're satire, uh, satirizing. That they're, they're a human family with human problems and, and foibles and foils. And I, it's just, it's a side, of, this is going to sound super white, it's a side of the black experience that I don't see enough represented in film. And so maybe I was cutting it some slack because, you know, Sterling K. Brown is so impossibly ripped. But at the same time, he's, you know, playing a, a gay guy who was closeted for so long and is now out and uh, basically on the town and celebrating the fact that he's divorced and living his life out loud and is in impossibly good shape, probably because he was for so long fixated on physicality, human physicality, male physicality. Or because he has an ab roller at home or something. I, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I just I just felt like the the um, that story, there was a lot of talking. You know, there wasn't, you know, there like there's the scene where the mom with Alzheimer's goes wandering around the beach. That was dramatized. But a lot of it isn't dramatized. A lot of it is just kind of like, well, dad said this about you and dad said this about me. And I just felt like the screenplay itself wasn't that interesting. Like the like there wasn't there wasn't enough happening. There was just a lot of talking about the family and not enough doing about the family, you know. And and also, I got to say, like the, the book 
And this might have made sense, and you know, Erasure by Percival Ever came out in two thousand and one, right? So that was like at the tail end of this era of like ghetto crime movies. But the book he writes, and they, they do a scene from the book. They sort of dramatize it in front of Monk while he's sitting at the typewriter, which is fun and clever. It feels like something out of like Dead Presidents, or you know, these sort these or Juice or these like late nineties black crime movies. I feel like in twenty twenty three, yeah, they're still fiction like that and there's still black representation like that but there's a much much broader if you you know a, a scale of types of black people represented in film and in television are there these sort of like upper middle class you know black family dramas not so much but you you see this these types of uh, african americans in lots and lots of media so i to me it fell a little flat because I feel like what it was satirizing is not entirely true anymore in the African-American fiction that is lauded. Like, let's say the novels of, like, Jessamyn Ward. You know, those are books about people in all from all different strata of economic life. They're definitely black family novels. And they're extremely popular, you know, and not at all um, fetishizing, you know, sort of a, this sort of quote-unquote ghetto experience. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure that it lands. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out, like, who it's aiming at. I don't know. For me, it it was so much about, and I think this does this extremely well, the film is really uh, a study about how you don't want to be defined by your race or you don't want to be reduced to really any stereotype. None of us do. Um, and yet we can't help but be that inextricably. Like it is part of our identity. So it's very much how do we define ourselves against that and how do we tell ourselves who we are? How do we tell the world who we are? You know what I mean? And and that family... I, I do it through this podcast. Well, of course. And and few 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 people have that luxury and opportunity. Oh, only no, only I mean, 7 million people in the world have, have their own podcast. So uh, let, let, let's talk about what's, what's good. I mean, it's not a bad movie at all. You know, Jeffrey Wright, is, I think, is terrific and extremely believable as a novelist. Like you, I'm like, yes, that make, this makes a lot of sense. It was uh, extremely nice to see Leslie Uggams Where's she been? <laughs> you know, she, she, I was like, I, I, I said to my wife, I was like, she was, she was Kizzy Kinte in Roots. You know, she was, I think she, wasn't she, was that, was that Cicely Tyson? No, it was Leslie Uggams. Leslie Uggams. No, it was, it couldn't have been both, but I'm saying like Leslie Uggams is not, was, was a big name when we were kids and she has yeah. not been around for a while. And it was very, very nice to see her. Um, you know, I, uh, Tracy Ellis Ross, uh, as his sister, I thought was, you know, Good and let, spoiler alert, um, not not in it very long. I thought you know Adam Brody was ex who I always enjoy watching was was extremely funny. And uh, there's good performances. There's some good satire, but it just I don't know. I feel like I'd seen that family before. Maybe 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 I've never seen that that black family before. But maybe maybe I haven't. Maybe I have. Maybe I just know people like that. I don't know. Maybe maybe. Look, you know, I I loved uh, his relationship with uh, the neighbor across the way, Coraline, the um, the love interest. I think it's an interesting story about self-hatred to a certain extent. You know, like like Monk is a really unhappy person. I mean, I love that exchange. Yeah, it's a lot of talking. I, I like the dialogue, man. I'm not a maybe you just like action movies. I don't no, know. I, I do like I, action movies. <laughs> I do. I don't I don't mind a talky movie. I just felt like, you know, I just I just felt like there was a lot of talking about family and not a lot of being being like family. And it just I would say family is talking about you know, that is what being family is. Mm. Is just hashing out. Well, these are people who don't talk and I think they have that bubbling simmering rage. Certainly Sterling K Brown's character, which I love has such resentment 
And is it like an open wound when it comes to this family? He hates the family because he wants to love the family so much and they keep disappointing him, you know? And I feel his exchange with his brother, I thought was really illuminating. I feel like when Coraline and uh, Monk hit rough waters there, like their, their conversation, I think, is fascinating in terms of what it says about two individuals, also the, the familial kind of um, lens that they're looking through because Monk's dad was very similar to Monk, uh, according to the reports of the family, you know? According to the reports of the family. That's what I'm... Stepping- <laughs> <laughs> okay, you show, don't tell, I get it, but the dad's dead, you know what I mean? And there's, this movie's very much about absences as well, you know, people who are just... I know, like, absences, but like, you know, but then there's 40 minutes of like hard, of, of like of like publishing industry satire sandwiched in. Like, make up your mind, what are you about? And and I feel like the movie doesn't, it, it certainly didn't deliver on the promise of the trailer, which was all publishing industry satire, which is... Oh, funny. that's funny. Yeah, it leaned into the most marketable part. No, it makes sense. Look, I guess I would say that the movie is satiric, but it's not a satire. I think it's a family drama that's incredibly heartfelt and very poignant that also has a lot of laughs in it because of the way it ribs the industry. Maybe there's one thing we can agree on. Can we agree on John Ortiz, his character? Oh, the, the agent? Because I thought he was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, the agent was good, but then he kind of went away. Then he was like, where was he the last half hour, 45 minutes of the oh, movie? I know. I mean, he's not a main character. He's just more of a... I wanted more. I want a little more of him. I wanted more of him. I wanted more of the publishing industry. I wanted to know a little bit more about Issa, well, Issa Rae's character. I wanted to know more about that yeah. stuff. And... and Pick your lane. That's what I'm saying, you know. And uh, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't. It just didn't quite integrate the two as well as uh, it could have, in my opinion. Are you saying it, it segregated the two? Is that what you're saying? I would not say that. I, that. Your words, not mine. I just felt like I, I, th- I think it did. It did not. It did not integrate properly, uh, uh. which is which is to me is a problem. And uh, but you know. American fiction um, will. Uh, th- I find this conversation very awkward, Stephen. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, uh, you know, your mileage may vary on American fiction. I'm a, r- a rare dissenting voice in the wilderness of universal NPR praise for this. <laughs> this is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. Stephen Garrett, thank you so much for joining me today. But how did this movie make you feel? I feel like that's at the NPR. If the New York Times is all the news, if it's a print. NPR is. How did that make you feel? Uh, it made me feel fine. I feel fine. I feel fine. Awkward. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> what was that? Oh, Lord, it's the Queen Bee. Regina George. Don't look her in the eye. You could be really hot if you change, like, everything. You're not Pella Katie. Incorrect. You have to pick a French name. Chanel. No. Celine Dion. No. Beyonce. Kristen Clifford, have you heard about the new Mean Girls movie? I have heard about it. Oh, my God. It is. I do not want to sit with it at all. (laughs) (laughs) I would never sit with it at lunch, even if it was wearing pink on Wednesdays. Absolutely not. So, yeah. So here's the deal. There is a, a new Mean Girls movie, and it's essentially it's a lot like the old Mean Girls movie, the classic uh, comedy from 2004. It even has some of the same adult uh, characters in it. But it is. This is a musical and uh, it's not Mean Girls. It's not quite as good or relevant as Mean Girls was. And you know, I, I, Kristen, you gave it kind of a, um, a harsh review in Book and Film Globe. I, I think I maybe liked it just a tad more than you did. But you know, I still I'm not I'm not like thinking about it endlessly. Yeah, I was actually really surprised that you liked it more than I did. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I I don't think my expectations were were kind of low. Like I'm not a massive Mean Girls fan, but you know, here's the thing: like the original Mean Girls. 
it was just a star-studded uh, extravaganza, or at least what later, was, in retrospect, seems like it. I mean, had Amanda Seyfried, Lindsay Lohan, peak Lindsay Lohan, Rachel McAdams, for God's sakes, you know, as, as Regina George. I mean, it, you know, it's just kind of a classic uh, teen comedy, and it felt very fresh at the time, you know, by... Comparison: This this current this musical version, which is an adaptation of the Broadway musical, also written by Tina Fey, uh, it just doesn't just doesn't feel as fresh. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think because I was kind of expecting, I think more changes to the storyline. Not that it needed it, but just I thought, oh, there's going to be some fun updates and and more things like that. And it really was just kind of the same movie with extra songs. <laughs> well, it was the same movie with less with fewer jokes. Really? Yeah. They took out a lot of the jokes to make room for the songs. And I didn't feel, I have not seen the stage musical, which I think only ran for like two years, right? Because it got shut down kind of by the pandemic. I'm not really yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. But um, I didn't feel like the songs really move the story forward like they usually do in musicals. Um, maybe because obviously they mostly just use the script from the regular screenplay movie um and not that's not a musical but yeah it felt a little bit like forced in with these songs that really didn't add a ton for me um of like backstory or anything in introspective about the characters and then um yeah they took out a lot of the jokes for the songs yeah i mean i felt like um the lyrics were fairly clever in the songs um yeah the, the, I, the music was was kind of meh but, you know, there were a couple, like, you know, the Regina George's anthem that she sings a couple of times. I was sort of kind of had that as a brain worm. And I liked the sexy Halloween costume song. That was my favorite one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the one they played over the closing credits, too. Like, they know that that's the one, right? Yeah, they know that that's the best one. <laughs> it was the most fun, you know. And the one thing that, you know, was not present in 2004 that is present today is, you know, social media. But I think of like... Any movie that has teen characters in it these days always has some kind of damn TikTok montage. Yes. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And this was no exception. There are always just endless TikTok reaction montages showing how gossip spreads via social media. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We get it. You know, the burn book feels like completely outdated because what teenage person would keep a physical burn book when there is social media? Yeah, exactly. And I did like appreciate some of the updates they made with that because in the original, she obviously throws the paper all over the school. Um, and then in this one, it's everybody taking pictures of it and sharing them online, which which makes a little bit more sense for the current like way that kids are, are spreading information. But yeah, it's it's hard to film those things and have them be dramatic, I think. Well, I, yeah. And just like Mean Girls just at the time, you know, it was an adaptation of this Queen Bees and Wannabes a book which is a study, like a sociological and journalistic study of the way um, teenage girls operate. And, you know, but that was 20 plus years ago. And it, it just, this feels a little out of date. Yeah, I think that that's part of it is that like, whilst the behavior is, is similar for sure, the way that it happens and the way that it spreads and, and how it all works out is very different. And yeah, it doesn't feel as fresh as it, it did in 2004, which I can't believe the movie is 20 years old either. I know. It makes, I mean, I know I'm, I'm only 20 years old. How could the movie be <laughs> 20 years old? Now, I was, I was already a, a, you know, a senior citizen compared to the characters in the movie when it came out. But now, now it's like, it's just like a, a different universe. But let, let's talk about some of the, um, 
some of the actors. Uh, I thought that the uh, young woman who played Janice, who is um, who is the main character's best friend, who's not in the Mean Girls clique, I thought she had a lot of um, energy and vitality, and she had. And I, I felt like you know she brought a lot to her her scenes, and there was she was in it often. Sort of a Greek chorus. She was great. And like from the beginning when she and Damien kind of open it up because she has such a a really great, in my opinion, she has a really great voice. And I was like excited when it started. I was like, oh, this this could be good with Janice and Damien sort of as the Greek chorus. But yeah. And I mean, she did. I I think all everyone gave a good performance. It wasn't even necessarily like, oh, I, I thought anyone like stuck out as as dragging or bad. Everyone had a nice voice. Everyone was good. Yeah, she stood out for sure as a really strong performance. Yeah. In fact, I would say that she and Damien were the best part of the movie. They had the most wit and the most flash and the most energy. Yeah, I really liked the two of them. And I think they they also had like really good good friendship chemistry between them. Yeah. You know, and Gory Rice, who plays Katie uh, Heron, the main character, was fine. I mean, she certainly looked the part, um, and, but it was hard to not compare her with Lindsay Lohan, who was just so iconic in that role. Yeah, and she's a great, I really like her as an actor. I've seen her in, she was in Mayor of Easttown and um, Honor Society, which is actually, I think it came out a couple years ago, but it's a great movie about like uh, high school sort of politics. And she's the lead in that. And she's wonderful. Not a bad actor. She just had a, a tough act to follow. Uh, yeah, it's hard. You know, the Renee Rapp, who uh, played uh, Regina George, also played her on Broadway, mind you. Um, it, it was, uh, you know, it was very magnetic. Um, but again, you know, has a uh, tough act to follow in, in Rachel McAdams. And also, let's be clear, I don't really even more than the other characters did not buy her at all as a high school student, you know? No. She's too old no. for the for the role. I and mean, she's not she's not too old for any role or or most roles, but she just felt a little, you know, there a busy Phillips plays her mother and there were a couple of points where I was like, "Wait, which one is it?" <laughs> That's mean. It's and that may have just been because of the camera angle or whatever, but you know, the the whole point is that, you know, she's kind of a clone of her her shallow mother. Um, and I just, I kind of lost, I lost track a little bit at, at points, but she, she, she sure can belt out a tune. There is that. Yeah, no, she's, she's super talented, but yeah, I did think that cause I was thinking, and I think Rachel McAdams was actually quite old to be playing the role, but she just looked younger, but she had this sort of like, I don't know what it is. It's not like a sweetness, but a sort of where she was just more believable as a teenager and you still kind of felt a little sorry for her, even though she was being evil. Cause you're like, well, she's just a kid. But yeah, she did seem older and at times it was a little bit jarring. Like, oh, I think, you know, why are you picking on these teens? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then there are the then there are the adult characters. I mean, Tina Fey and Tim Meadows played the same parts that they did in the 2004 movie. And that was fine. But, you know, then they kind of whatever other um, Busy Phillips, I thought, was was not so great. Um, and, and she really kind of overplayed it. Um, Jenna Fisher plays... Um, Katie Heron's mom, and she does. They don't give her much to do. No, they don't, and they took away the dad character, which I didn't really understand. Yeah, and then uh, John Hamm is in it as well, but he really isn't. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw him, and I was like, "Oh, interesting. Are they going to do the Coach Car storyline again?" Which I'm glad they didn't. But yeah, I was kind of like, "Why is he here?" Just because he's friends with Tina Fey, I assume. But probably, um, and, and his scenes might have gotten cut. Yeah, that's true. But I was like, hey, he's a funny guy. Like, I feel like they could have done a little bit more. 
more with, with him. him. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's just, I think that's the, in general, I would feel like the Mean Girls musical, they could have done a little bit more, you know? That's exactly, that's it. Exactly. I think I was expecting more and I didn't get it. You, I think you even used the phrase cash grab and I mean, it's done quite well at the box office. I mean, the, all, there were a lot of people in my uh, screening and I went on a, a Saturday afternoon who were really eager to be there, you know, and really like kind of cooing along. You know, it's like fan fiction for Mean Girls fans. I think so. And yeah, I do think a lot of people like the musical a lot or have heard, you know, kind of like with Hamilton where people were listening to the soundtrack way before they got a chance to see it. Um, I think that they do. Yeah, there was there was I, I saw it on like a Thursday at 450 and there was still quite a number of people in the theater. So I don't know. I felt like I was watching a really good community theater production <laughs> based on Mean Girls. Yeah, it was it was like just with all the talent they have in the movie um like i think i said in my review every it wasn't anyone's fault like that it wasn't great it was just it just wasn't you know it, they didn't do enough to make it its own thing it wasn't a car crash like the dear evan hansen musical there you know or no. cat or cats you know oh, it was per, yeah. you know to say the least but it was perfectly competent but but i i just found myself thinking well why not just watch mean girls again yeah, which it might have also suffered by comparison because I did watch Mean Girls, the original, before seeing it just to sort of refresh myself so that I could spot, you know, any updates or changes. And I was like, oh. well, that's why that's why you're a professional. <laughs> you know, I've got all the time in the world, you know, I'm very busy, but I still managed to make the time. But yeah, it uh, you know, there's some weird stuff in the first one that obviously 20 years later doesn't necessarily hold up. But they just and I was I was kind of excited to see what changes they would make because I was like, there's some clever things they could do to have fun with with updates. But, yeah, they didn't really do anything. All right. Well, we're going to have to put it in the burn book. Sorry. Mean yeah. Girls, the musical, kind of a soggy mess. <laughs> is it Grotsky? Biash. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> is it is, is it uh, what, what is it? What do they call Janice? Is it a les on uh, les on fire? Pyro les. Pyroles, yeah, it's, it's not even that. <laughs> yeah, it's not that at all. All right, well, Kristen, thank you for your efforts, and we will talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Into the vortex. I have the whole universe at my fingertips. Oh, this is Dave. You can't! Abbey Road, steer the nose! All right, let's take it from the top. Ruby, there are powers beyond the universe. Are you getting scared because you're just babbling now? No job, no boss. Just fun. <laughs> Classic. I'd love it if you came with me. It is the 60th anniversary of Doctor Who, which means that that TV show is older than I am, which is kind of hard to do, given that I'm, I'm fairly old. You know, I'm, but Doctor Who has been around my entire life, and it keeps uh, regenerating, as it were, and it is back again in a new form on the BBC, but this time now it's on Disney+, Plus. so now it's Doctor Who for kids. I guess you could argue that Doctor Who has often been for kids, let's face it, but uh, now it's really for kids, and Paula Schaefer has watched these uh, the early iteration of the new Disney Plus Doctor Who, as have I, and she's here to talk to me about it. Hello, Paula. Hey, yeah, I am always glad to talk about Doctor Who, for good, for bad. Right. Now, I mean, it might surprise you, given how cool I am, that I, I'm an expert in Doctor Who. I, I am a uh, 
lifelong uh, Doctor Who fan. Um, basically, what, ha- what here's what I think happens with Doctor Who. It kind of goes through these phases where it's like, I mean, it's always nerdy. It's sci-fi. It's British TV sci-fi. But it goes through these phases where it's kind of hip nerdy, right? Like when I was a kid, they had the Tom Baker Doctor Who, right? And he was kind of this dashing, cool dude in a scarf and, you know, had a, sense, a wink, wink and a sense of humor. And it was, it's, that was sort of its first heyday and the years before Tom Baker, I would say, though. And then would you agree about that? Probably, right? Yeah, I think so. Even as like a little kid living in the middle of nowhere, I was vaguely aware of this weird thing that was on PBS sometimes. <laughs> it was on PBS. It, it aired on PBS. Uh, so that's how I knew about it. Um, and then, and then it uh, went through uh, decades of just mediocrity and and terribleness. And then it rebirthed um, in two thousand and five, I believe when um, Christopher Eccleston took over the role, or they rebooted it, basically, and they turned it into a, a filmed series with hour-long episodes, and sort of, le- the old ones were like half an hour, and they were always cliffhangers, and it was extremely cheap-looking, and then it, it got more expensive-looking, and then, you know, it really bloomed during the David Tennant years, and then, to some extent, during the Matt Smith years as well, and then it went into a decline again. It went into, like, this irrelevant decline. I watched maybe one episode each of the Peter Capaldi and Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who's. They were just they were just terrible, horribly written, horribly acted, really boring, really sappy. Yeah, I mean, Peter Capaldi was an excellent doctor. Uh, he's an excellent actor. They just gave him dumb things to do, like he had sunglasses and a guitar. Right, he would have been good with a good showrunner. And the Jodie Whittaker year, uh, years were unfortunately a disaster given that she was the first female doctor and there was lots of enthusiasm about it. That enthusiasm died real quick. Yeah, just on the vine. Just like. Yeah, so now we're back and, you know, what they've done is they have, uh, well, they, but they brought back David Tennant for some nostalgia episodes, basically, for some reason. And then he bi-generated, he sort of split into two personalities and now he is, the doctor is played by Nakuti Gatwa, who um, is best known probably from Sex Education. He was also in the Barbie movie, but he had a small part in that. So now we have sort of a young, uh, dashing, black, mustachioed, Scotch Rwandan doctor. And I love him as the doctor. From the, the I, I was kind of opposed. They put him in the end of an old TV movie about Doctor Who. They took Matt Smith out and put in Shudi Gatwa as like, look, here it is. We're making this old movie relevant or something. And I was like, why did they do that? And then I watched the three seconds of him as the doctor and I fell in love. I was like, oh, this guy is dashing. He's fun. He gets it. He's physical. He's very physical. He's a very physical actor. So, yeah, you wrote about this in, in, in the series. The show is definitely an improvement over the bad years. I mean, there's no question. You know, they brought back Russell T. Davies, who wrote a lot of the Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant episodes. And it's definitely got some of that wink and dash back. But there's a lot of sort of cornball crap in it as well. And an incredibly uh, large amount of singing and dancing, which I did not ex- want or expect I don't think that was the, the the secret sauce that anybody was trying to put on this. Like I, they, in the episode with Neil Patrick Harris, he's singing and dancing, and I'm like, well, they're trying to tap into like his show tune nature. But then in the the Christmas special, there was also singing and dancing of CGI characters. Yeah, yeah, CGI characters, and it was also like literally the Goblin King stealing a baby, which, as you cleverly pointed out in your review, was the plot 
of Labyrinth. Yeah, yeah. When it happened on the show, I said out loud, oh, no, it did the Goblin King steal the baby. Are they going to sing and dance now? And I was joking. And then they sang and danced. <laughs> then I was cringing in embarrassment. Like, no, why? Right. And there's no and there's no David Bowie. No. So to, to, he's not available. Um, and that's not to say that uh, that the doctor and his companion can't sing and dance because they because they obviously can. But uh, but that's that's not the point. That that said, you know, I and I felt like there was, you know, that that whole thing in the first episode where David Tennant and Catherine uh, Tate reunited and there was this whole sort of non-binary, binary, non-binary shtick. It felt very pandering. Uh, and and it was was just kind of ridiculous, but I did like some of the villains they brought in. You know, I, I I did. There was this weird kind of cuddly villain who became an evil villain called the Meep, sort of like a ET cross with a gremlin. That was it was kind of a uh, kind of fun. And you know, I thought Neil Patrick Harris, while extremely campy and corny, was certainly didn't uh, wasn't boring to watch uh, in his in his bit. Yeah, I I wouldn't complain if he showed up again. I just was kind of surprised that he was there. He was like a recycled villain from the 1960s called the called the toy maker. He's sort of this like uh, extra dimensional being who can manipulate uh, time and space and for whom everything's a game. And then it was kind of weird. Like they defeated him by playing catch. Yeah, yeah. Like they're like we have so much money. We have so much money. Oops, we spent it all. Uh, what can we do for the final scene? I don't know. Let's play catch. We have to spend the budget on David Tennant birthing the new doctor. I don't know. I don't know. It was just kind of like watching it. I'm like, this is a show for children. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. But it is. It is a yeah. show. Doctor Who is. It's really. It, it kind of always has been a show for children. Although there, it definitely has. A, sometimes it's a show for teens. And occasionally it leans into the horror element. And when it does that, it's not really a show for children. So it's, it's kind of a strange. It's a strange program. It's always been a been a strange program. It's not cool, yet I'm always drawn to it for some reason. I don't know what it is. Yeah, same. I, I can't resist <laughs> it. And and I will watch unless they do something really terrible. I will continue to watch this doctor. Uh, hopefully, there'll be episodes that are worth making it through. Yeah, I mean, it's well written enough. The doctor is charming enough. The companion is cute enough. You know, the budget seems big enough, but it, I don't think it's going to recapture that, th- that sort of thrill in 2005, 2006, 2007, where, I, you know, I was a I was a grown ass man at that point. But I was I was able to, it was able I was able to sort of capture that the excitement I felt when I was watching Doctor Who as a little kid. Yeah. And there, there is talk that this whole bi-generation is leading to parallel universes in the Doctor Who world, which we don't we don't need. But it's always done that. It's uh, Doctor Who's always done that. There've always been like, here's a special episode where five of the actors who played the Doctor will be back playing the Doctor again. You know, here comes the ghost of someone who died. You know, they, they, there really aren't a lot of rules, you know, because 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 in this universe, like. People can be reborn looking different. The doctor is essentially an immortal time traveling being. It's like it's not like hard sci-fi. Like rules can be bent and and shifted around and, and broken. Yeah, I'm most excited because when the toy maker was defeated, his tooth fell on the ground, and that's where the master is right now. So anytime where, this, where is he? Where uh, is the master? The toy, in, in, in the his, toy maker said he had the master shrunken down and in his tooth. And then at the end of the Toymaker episode, his tooth was still there when the Toymaker disappeared. 
So the master is the master for those of you who aren't dorks. Um, <laughs> is Doctor Who's arch enemy? Yeah, my favorite. And, and is and is currently in what 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 is the master's current identity? Is is he a man? Is he a woman? Well, the master was Missy, and Missy was mm-hmm. a fantastic character. And then I think they brought back the master master again as a man. But I kind of dropped off on Jodie Whittaker too because they were those episodes were just too much. Yeah, although there was a, a version of the master in uh, the Doctor Who reboot where he's played by Andrew Scott, otherwise known as the hot priest from hot Fle- priest. from Fleabag yeah. and also the uh, the depressed gay man from All of Us Strangers, which is a movie in theaters now. So, but I don't, he's not coming back. He graduated. Yeah. He, he graduated. <laughs> David, you know, David Tennant came back. He, he was like, he's like, I know, I know where my bread's buttered. <laughs> he does. He does at that. It was good to see him. Uh, and it, whatever, it's good to see Doctor Who. I will be watching it. I I, I will I, not exactly hate watching it, but I'll, I'll sort of be watching it with it with. With a old, jaundiced old man's eye at this point. I'm like one of the early old man doctors at this point. I'm not like the young, dashing Doctor Who anymore. I'm like a grumpy old man Doctor Who. <laughs> the Peter Capaldi. Maybe. Or maybe even like one of the, maybe even like the first Doctor Who, the first Doctor Who was really like just this grumpy old man. Yes, very rickety. <laughs> it was always going to happen. All right, Paula, thank you so much for writing about Doctor Who and for. Um, talk. This is this is. I think this may be the nerdiest segment we've ever done. It is. I, I think you are correct. All right, uh, Nanu Nanu. Wait, that's the, that's a different show. Uh, I'll exterminate. I don't know. I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Thank you, Paula Schaefer. Doctor Who has regenerated itself yet again, and now it's on Disney Plus for mostly children, but some adults who are childlike in uh at least in their mental state like me uh to watch as well over the course of the next year also thanks to Kristen clifford for coming in and delivering some semi-mean at least i was mean she wasn't mean comments about the new mean girls musical which is in theaters now and thanks to stephen garrett as always for stopping by to talk about american fiction which is also in theaters now i am neil pollock I am the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover all things film and book and streaming TV, and I will be back next week with more coverage of just those things. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon. Original Production.